welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Paul Abel. Stay where we are in the presence of God. When nothing else matters. Nothing. Nothing. Think of all those concerns, cares, worries. What am I going to get the family to eat? Will I have enough money this week? What's that pain in my side? Nothing else matters. What a place to be. I'm not there. How about when we live a life where nothing else matters? Because we trust Jesus that much. Everything we know is in his hands. Oh Lord, that we'd be that people. I wouldn't be worried about my jobs or my children. I know that my trust would be in you. Father, I know I'm on that journey. Come, enable me to walk on that journey further, Lord. It's a decision, isn't there? But then there's learning to be in that place. I mean, my decision is to be in that place where nothing else matters but Jesus but I know that again and again in my life things crop up that are more important I want to do this or I want to do that or I want this to work out or I want to buy this or I want to go there and these things may even be good things but what a place to be where Nothing else matters. Nothing else is a stress. Nothing else is a worry. Nothing else is a fear. Nothing else causes anxiety. But all I have is a peace from knowing that I'm with Jesus. tell you a story and as I tell you the story try and gauge how you feel about what's going on and as I do that or as you notice that what does that reveal about what's going on in you And how you feel about this phrase, that nothing else matters. I'm not going to give you the correct teaching afterwards. This is a personal thing. This is just, well, how do you respond? First, we 
you've got to go back in time. And you've received an invitation. Word has come to you that you are invited. You're pleased to be invited. The man that's invited you is a very important local man. He's very well regarded. He's a great teacher of the the scriptures. So you're very delighted to be invited to the home of this very important man. And you know that the room will be full of very important people, good for connections. Because he is a wealthy man and because he will be wanting to demonstrate his generosity of heart, as is the custom of these days, the dinner that you are invited to, the meal that you are invited to, will also have many of the poor allowed in. They will be allowed to sit around the edges so that they can receive food from the table when you're finished. And you think, oh, it would be wonderful to be in that place where we're demonstrating our generosity to the unfortunates. Little boy, allowed in on this special occasion despite the fact that they're sinners. But you will be allowed to sit at the table for you know that you are a person of reputation. The day comes dressed in your best because it's an important meal and you walk through the streets with a little bit of a spring in your step in anticipation of meeting this important teacher this important man of the community and you're welcomed at the door and you go in and you sit down You're somewhat surprised that at one of the guests, his name is, what's his name? Something of Nazareth, they call him. He's from that backwater village, Nazareth. Jesus. Yeshua. And he's got a bit of a reputation. It's not a good one either. He mixes with a lot of very dodgy people. He's been known to hang out with, well, let's just say undesirables. (laughs) There's once a story he even went to Samaria and sat next to a woman, a woman at a well in the middle of the day, so we all know why she was there in the middle of the day, and talked to her. you're also sneakily a little bit pleased because you've heard about the fact that he does miracles and stuff Uh, and and, uh, you've heard some real interesting stories of things he's been up to and so it's going to be nice to uh, meet this guy face to face what's his name again? Yeshua Yeshua, must remember that it'd be nice to use his name when when you talk to him Wow, how how brilliant to be sat 
in the important places with the important people with this guy. Although Simon, the teacher, the Pharisee, he's risking his own reputation of having this guy in his house. I guess he's showing his generosity and his open-mindedness in, in, in letting him in. And obviously he didn't show him the, the full hospitality of the house. He didn't do the things that you should do when a visitor arrives because you keep that for the important people, like the poor around the edges and you notice, you even smell that they're there. You don't go anointing them with oil. It would be a waste of good oil. You don't wash their feet. And so obviously Simon didn't do that for Jesus either because he's well he's one of those really big question mark over there's been a lot of talk about him on Facebook and Twitter and some of those comments the meal's good you enjoy the meal nothing much seems to happen it's fairly normal until you see why Jesus has got this reputation now because with the poor nicely at the edges of the room out of sight, out of mind that sort of thing so you can focus on the food and whatever this Jesus is going to say when one of them doesn't stay where she's supposed to stay on the outskirts in the shadows not central she obviously hasn't got it in her head yet she's a lesser being and boy is this woman covered in shame she gently comes forward you give her that for credit she's not trying to draw attention to herself And she comes to the feet of Jesus. Now, this woman, she's a prostitute. Let's just, let's just put it bluntly, shall we? Let's just get it out there. That's what she is. It's obviously why some of the men at the table look a bit embarrassed. They know her, shall we say. Not you, of course. Simon, the host... He, you, could, you could almost see the steam coming out of his ears, you know? He's like, what is that woman doing? What on earth is she doing? She's ruining my party. She's supposed to stay on the outskirts. She is not welcome here in the presence of Jesus. But he politely just holds it all in and carries on politely smiling and probably feels the best thing to do just ignore her and the problem will go away flipping woman but she stays there at the feet of Jesus she's got really long hair you can't really see her face there at Jesus' feet and She begins to cry. 
tears aren't going to get you anywhere, woman. You're a sinner. And she's letting her tears. I mean, she's really crying. She's weeping. Momentarily, you feel a, a, a bit of compassion for her, and then you realize where she's come from. She doesn't deserve that. As she cries, her tears begin to fall on the feet of Jesus. And you think, oh my goodness, what is she doing? Is this one of our acts she does with men? Doesn't she realize what this looks like? It gets worse. I mean, you've got indigestion through this now. It's quite spoiling the dinner. She begins to wash or wipe dry feet not with a towel not even with her clothes with her hair doesn't she realise even from her low despicable station what this looks like (laughs) that's not the end of it it gets worse She takes out a bottle of perfume. Now we all know why whores have bottles of perfume. It's expensive stuff when you think the money came to buy that. She breaks the jar stupid waste of such expensive perfume and breaks it over Jesus' feet. This this is just going too far. You You think, why on earth why on earth is Simon not doing anything about this? I guess he's embarrassed too. Who'd have expected? You look over at Simon and you see from the look in his eyes he's very, very unhappy. It's almost like you can see exactly what he's thinking and then you realise what he's thinking because he's not actually looking at the woman anymore. He's looking at Jesus. You can see exactly what Simon's thinking. This Simon's thinking, well, it's just about proves it. I've been wondering about this Yeshua. I've been wondering if he was genuine. And this proves that he's far from genuine. He's supposedly a prophet, or at least a man of God that hears from what he calls God his Father. That hears from God the Father. And uh, there's even rumours, well, not so much rumours, we, we know about it, that he's claiming to be the Messiah. 
But no man of God, no prophet from God, lets a prostitute kneel at his feet, wept his feet with his, her tears, washed his feet with her hair, and allows her to pour perfume that she's gained from all her sinful acts over his feet. If this man was a prophet, he'd know what sort of woman this is. So he either knows what sort of woman she is and he's enjoying it, or he doesn't know what sort of woman she is, and therefore he isn't a prophet. So therefore he is not a man of God and Simon's thinking my only problem now is how to bring this to an end and preserve my reputation for letting this happen at my, at my, at my in my house and all these important people are here what kind of message is this sending out Jesus, who's been looking at the woman, he suddenly looks up straight at Simon. And there's something in his eyes. It's not judgment, it's not anger, it's love. He looks over at Simon and those eyes of his there's just something about those eyes they're both you don't have words to describe it such love and yet such godliness holiness Simon says Jesus and you see Simon almost visibly start he thinks I'm probably going to get rebuked now for letting this woman do this I suppose I should have stopped her I think Simon you're just watching what's going to happen next this is fun this is going to this is going to be some stories to tell Simon, the great teacher, the great Pharisee, humiliated in his own home by allowing this woman to approach the prophet. <laughs> it's going to make some juicy gossip. What did you hear? What happened? You're so pleased you're there. And even as you say that, something just about the way Jesus says, Simon. Just his name, but there's such love, such compassion, such a reaching out to him. I think, well, maybe he's going to show forgiveness to Simon so that they can then get this woman out. Simon, says Jesus, when I came into your home, you didn't even follow the normal custom of having water to wash my feet. Yet this woman is washing my feet with her tears. 
Simon. It would be normal when you were welcoming someone in your home. It's the normal culture of the day. To give me the kiss of welcome. Yet you didn't. And this woman is kissing my feet. And Simon, there was another element of our culture that you missed. It would have been normal, as you well know, Simon, to anoint my head with oil, to give me some oil for my hair, to smarten it up, to remove the dust, and to show to me as your guest that you wanted to honour me. But you didn't do that, did you? This woman has taken something very expensive. It's all she's got. She hasn't got the expensive oil of perfume that you've got. She's got this perfume. And she's anointed my feet with it. Dear woman, dear woman, dear woman, dear woman, your sins are forgiven. I don't know what you're thinking right now. Dear woman, Jesus looking straight at her your faith has saved you go in peace your faith has saved you sozo is the Greek word used Your faith has made you safe, you are healed, you are delivered. Go in peace. Why? Does any of us ever feel we can't go to Jesus with her? Why do us ever, ever feel that what we've been through, what we've experienced, or what we've had done to us, or what we have done, would disqualify us from being with Jesus? Jesus is God incarnate. Incarnational is the longer word. That means he is everything that is God in Father, Son and Holy Spirit. 
Everything that could be expressed of God was what we see in a human being called Jesus. That is God incarnate. If we want to understand what the Holy Spirit's like, if we want to understand what the Father is like, we can look at Jesus and understand. Jesus is now not sitting in a dinner party, but he is still sat in heavenly places with the Father. And still, anyone can go to him. Anyone. The offering might be like that perfume. Highly inappropriate in many ways. But it's what she had to offer. So Jesus accepted it. And he saw that there was a faith in that woman that knew she needed him. Through that faith in Jesus, she was saved. There was no prayer of commitment. There was no sinner's prayer. Because it was what was in her heart that was important. That woman that day began a journey with Jesus. She knew he was the way. He was the journey. He was the road. And Jesus being Jesus knew that. And that day she began a new journey with Jesus. She knew that she could sit at his feet and worship him. wasn't about her and what had been done to her or what she had done we can be certain almost certain I suppose that if she was a prostitute which she's identified as her life had not been easy nobody chooses to go that route except out of desperation or abuse or whatever. And for a lot of people, that previous life and that abuse that she had suffered would make them feel I could not sit at the feet of Jesus. But she did know. It's a marvellous expression of understanding that in Jesus is all forgiveness all mercy all restoration and as she would discover because she was going to go on to know him and to follow him and to walk with him that she wasn't just forgiven to enable her to sit at his feet 
but he would take her by the hand as he takes us all by the hand and said come walk with me follow me I will make you a fisher of men I will work with you you will be my co-worker and we will be friends yes I will always be your lord and I will be your saviour but I will be your friend she would learn even more to her surprise that he would consider her the bride of the Messiah the bride of Christ and together they would dance and he through what he was going to do would not look at her as that sinful woman forgiven would see her as his precious bride without spot without blemish his love for her was without end and she knew that it was that love that he had for her that would enable her to discover what it was again to love and to trust the fact that he trusted her would enable her to trust others again And she began that journey of learning to love again, of learning to trust again, of learning who she really was, not what those people in that room that day had thought she was. She didn't have to sit around the edge. In fact, as far as Jesus was concerned, nobody deserved to sit around the edge. Just as you sort of gather yourself after that story, um, I want you to do something completely different yet entirely related. If you look at how God has been training and equipping us for the past few months, the common thread through all of it is submit to God, resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. Through praise and worship and prayer, submit to God, resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. Because God wants us to be in that place. Well, in fact, he doesn't want us to really be in the place of that woman. He wants us to go beyond where she was. But certainly at that moment, when she was at that feet, Nothing else mattered. She wasn't worried at that point what the important people in that room thought. You see, so many people worry about what important people think, or even actually a lot of us worry about what anyone thinks about us. You know, because are they judging me? Are they not judging me? But actually there is a place before Jesus where nothing else matters. I love Kate Close. She's a marvellous woman of God. And so hear me correctly here. 
But when I'm with Jesus, I don't care what she thinks about me. She might think I'm a really good pastor. She might think he's a bit ropey. But it doesn't really matter. What, I, what really matters is what he thinks about me. See Richard over there? He's a good guy. He's a good friend of mine. We've hung out together a lot, done different things together. I don't know what he really thinks about me as a friend, as a pastor, as a leader. I think it's probably good. But it doesn't really matter. That My identity is not supposed to be in what Richard thinks of me. But how often do we allow people around us to define who we are rather than accepting who Jesus says we are? Of course, there's one other huge liar in my life. Absolutely massive liar. Always telling me stuff negatively about myself. And that person is Paul Abel. For him, it's Alex Bryan. For him, it's Brian Guy. Because so often what we'll say about ourselves doesn't match up with who God says we are. Michelle over here, fabulous woman of God, very anointed. But sometimes, you know, the biggest enemy in Michelle's life is Michelle. She hacks down what God says about her. But so do I. And so do you. That couldn't possibly be true. We feel like we should be sitting on the edge of the room with the other undesirables. We just about got into this Jesus crowd. Hopefully, they won't find out about us. So we can just hide there around the shadows at the edge of the room. And if nobody notices us, we'll be allowed to stay in the presence of God. Because I love the presence of God when the presence of God comes on a Sunday morning. And as long as nobody really finds out about me, I'll be all right. I'll hide that. And yet, Jesus says, come on, let's dance. Sometimes the masculinity of the the Bible irritates people. You know, that constant male message being the sons of God and all that. But one of the greatest things, one of the greatest understandings comes from knowing we are the bride of Christ. I don't know about you, but I have trouble picturing myself as a bride. And if I do, I don't look great in a white dress. Still got the orange trainers on, probably, but. <laughs> so it doesn't mean that. But it's that place of intense treasuring. Where <laughs> you suddenly discover that God loves, to, God loves to be with you. Wow. God loves to be with you. He's willing to accept that you wash that you considered his feet and wash his feet and pour out your offering to him, but really he wants then to 
raise you from that position. That you can dance, that you can walk together. Sometimes dancing is almost a stronger metaphor because there's that sense of togetherness in dancing where you have to move together. And of course there's that, in our culture, our tradition, there's that first dance. Mind you, this is going to be better than most bride and groom's first dance. Because, especially today, there's usually a few trodden on toes and it's not something that they ordinarily do. And this is talking about being swept away by someone who is passionately in love with you. The Song of Songs is an allegory of God's love for you. So, to get back to why I said something that you're going to do that doesn't feel like it fits with this, just uh, turn to a few people around you to do this. Pairs or threes, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Just before we go on to where God wants to take us in the next few minutes, I want you to think back over the things that God has told us to take back hold of, if you like. If we are submitting to God so that the enemy is resisted and then flees from us, what is it that we're taking back hold of to be restored? And I've mentioned this, and maybe you were here last week, and you think you've mentioned this so much, but the reason is it's so important, because God wants us to live in the goodness of the land. Not in the just aboutness, not in meager provision, but in his goodness. And God showed us last September there were five things particularly, they cover an awful lot of ground, but there were five things particularly where we needed to make sure we were taking it back. Things that through forgetfulness, things that through lack of faith, or things that through just sheer busyness, had been dropped. Or just sheer exhaustion of continuing to believe, maybe. Sometimes you can just get tired of believing for something. But in that tiredness, something is taken from you. So, with those persons, just see if you can remember what those five things are. Okay? That's all. Some of you think, well, of course I can. Some of you are thinking, oop, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Just have a go. Remind yourself. What are those five things? Okay. Hopefully you've uh, been ma- managed to put the five together. So, if you could look this way again. Only a brief discussion on that. So, five things. Did you manage to remember all five? I don't know. Uh, I'll just quickly run through them rather than ask around the room. But um, number one was resources, including finance. Uh, Number two, not necessarily in this order, that's just the order I'm remembering them. Number two was salvation, particularly in seeing people saved. Number three healing, health, 
not just people being healed, uh, but also us living in health. Uh, number four, now it's the last two that we sort of dropped off a bit on this year. What were the remaining two? The promises from God, promises spoken over us. Last week, we saw what God has been doing in us as we took hold of those promises again over just a few people, but it meant that we were speaking over us all. We called the church out down the front here, if you weren't here, to pray, to take hold of, to pray until. And I don't think I've ever seen an entire church pray like that. The authority, the power, the confidence was awesome. And it shows what God has been doing in us. It really does. You, you don't get that in very many places that people would pray like that together without really hype, just let's pray. Boom. Fifth one. Extraordinary miracles. Now, why does that fit with the story that I was telling you? We'll see. The thing is, how many of those five have you taken hold of? Are you taking hold of every single day? Because actually I believe that's what God wants us to be doing. Not letting them go again, but saying, I'm going to pray until. Now Jesus taught on prayer. Many of you will know this account, and we haven't got time to go through it in fullness for those of you that don't. But if you want to read it up later, it's in Luke chapter 11. And there's this very interesting introduction where one of Jesus' disciples, Judas I think it is, not Iscariot, goes to Jesus and says, can you teach us how to pray? Now I say it's unusual because they've already been out seeing people healed and telling demons where to go. So we'd kind of put that up here at that kind of level of ministry. You know, that, that's, they're pretty advanced if they're doing that. They're already doing that. Shall I tell you why? Healing and demonic deliverance is easy. Anyone can do it. You just have to know who Jesus is. Because it's him that does it. But the disciples still want to learn how to pray. You think, that doesn't make sense. Haven't they just been praying for healing and, and everything else that's been going on? No, they haven't, you see. They haven't been praying. They've been taking authority. You see, Jesus doesn't say, go and pray for the sick. He says, go and heal the sick. So, we don't go and just mutter over them in tongues or chant on for a long time in English, hoping God we're going to do something. You just heal them. Now, how do you heal someone? You just trust God will use you. That's it. You can read books and books and books and books and books on reasons why and reasons why not, but that's it, really. You just trust Jesus will use you. Remember that Jesus was the incarnation of God, and it says time and time again, and he healed everyone who came to him. So what does, Jesus, what does God want to do now? Heal everyone who comes to him. But the incarnation, the incarnation of God that's present here on this planet right now is all sitting in this room. 
Josh Porter is the incarnation of Jesus. He is the message. Lizzie Thomas, meet Jesus. Our friend Dave here, I'd like you to meet Jesus walking on the earth this today because Jesus lives in him. He is the message. He is a preaching word. The life he lives shows people what Jesus is like. Sometimes it's a clear and straightforward word that we preach and sometimes I give very mixed messages. But I'm still, for every person that doesn't yet know God, a message from God. But Judas says, can you teach us how to pray? I mean, in Luke, it doesn't say here which one. But, and then he teaches the famous Lord's Prayer. And everybody thinks of that as the teaching that God, that Jesus taught. But of course, he doesn't stop, as we discovered last September. And if we had time, we could go through the Lord's Prayer, but we don't. After he's taught them the prayer, he does what Jesus does a lot. He tells a story, a short story, to illustrate what he's talking about. Jesus teaches in stories or narratives a lot of the time because it enables you to join in with that story and be part of it and see yourself as part of it rather than it just being something that tickles our ears. The Bible is designed for us to join in with, to be part of. It's a story from beginning to end of God's love for us. And he tells a story. uh, I'll just read it. Suppose you have a friend, said Jesus, And you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And this was a... This little phrase, yet because of your shameless audacity that God really gave us last September. Sometimes in translations it's just translated persistence, but that's not what the Greek word means. It is persistence, but it's a persistence that is without shame. You see, I don't know about you, uh, I'm a bit sort of sensitive often to what people think. So if I'd gone to my friend at the... in the middle of the night and he shouted out look go away I'm in bed I'd have probably gone away <laughs> I probably wouldn't have gone in the first place because I'd have been too embarrassed to, to be going out that time of night to get loaves of bread from somebody I mean we're cross, crossing cultures here a bit because remember that what's, um, what's happening is that it's very very important to this guy to provide hospitality uh, and actually that should be what we're very keen to supply, you know, it's one of the gifts, but that's of God, is that we would be hospitable people. But that's another story for another day. He's banging on the door. I wouldn't have even gone and banged on the door. I'd have been too embarrassed. 
I'd have thought, what would he think of me? What, what, you know, it's not, it's not very Christian. And yet Jesus uses this little, little story to illustrate the kind of shameless audacity we need to have in our prayer. The promises you have from God. That passion to see people set free through extraordinary miracles. To see healing. And we're not talking about our lives only. We're not talking about our lives only. This is what God has to release through us for this. All around. This is for our neighbours. God didn't place you in that street by accident. There's people for you to touch and communicate with. He put you in the right place. He's very good at that. There are people for you to connect with. Not to be a mission, not to be an evangelist too, just to, it probably will just start with, hi, how you doing? Lovely weather. Oh, it's been brilliant, hasn't it? Do you think it will last? No, probably not. <laughs> it might belong, it begins there. Oh, I don't think it will last. Are you saved by the blood of Jesus? <laughs> They're going to think you odd, because you will be. <laughs> You know, you, the people want to engage, but if we're going to speak a message that is weird enough as it is, that Jesus came as the Son of God and died on a cross for you and risen, has risen from the dead to enable you to be saved and put back in a relationship with God, we're talking about a lot of stuff that people don't think about every day. So they want to get to know you a bit and trust you a bit and, and, and realize that, okay, you may say some insane stuff about that Jesus guy, but otherwise you seem fairly normal. Maybe I could listen to what you've got to say. But in this context that Jesus is talking about, yet because of your shameless audacity, you will say, Father. How dare you call God your Father? Yes, exactly. Call God your Father. Your perfect Father. Hallowed be your name. I'll worship you. I'll praise you. I'll give you all the glory. And then you have the audacity... To pray, your kingdom come. As if God couldn't make his kingdom happen without your prayers. Have you ever thought that? How rude it is to chant that Lord's Prayer in church after church after church. Even when it's going, Oh, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. What extreme rudeness to say to God, your kingdom come. Because if I'm not praying this, you're not going to be able to do it. It's kind of what you're saying, if you think about it. Your kingdom come, your rule, your reign come and manifest in this nation because you need me to pray. Because if I'm not praying, it's not going to happen. Anybody feeling awkward? And yet, Jesus says, I want you to pray for my kingdom to come. Because he wants his rule and his reign. And for some reason that I don't fully understand, he's chosen to work with us. But the key to all of this, the key to being able to pray the Lord's Prayer and really see it effectively happening, the key to seeing these five things being established, I think the key is this shameless audacity. And the one thing that can stop people from being bold is being full of shame. But it's shameless, not shameful. And that story at the beginning is exactly 
God communicating to us. Pray with a shameless audacity. Pray without being ashamed for your failures. Pray without being ashamed for the things you should have done and didn't. Pray without being ashamed of you things that you did that didn't work out. Pray without shame for the sin that you've gone through. Because I can forgive you of all that and wash you clean. Pray without shame for thinking that you didn't have enough faith last time. It's okay, faith comes from me. Just come. Just pray. Submit to me. Resist the enemy in submitting to me, praising me, and he'll flee from you. You see, God spoke clearly to us, didn't he? That the reason you haven't seen is because, wasn't because of lack of faith, actually, but was because you allowed the enemy to take it away again. It's there, and he comes in and goes, thank you. Doubt, fear, shame, all these things come as the enemy and steal God's best from us. I've been healed, I've been healed, I've been healed. Oh, praise God. Oh, that hurt. Oh, I'm not healed. Or, okay, I'm healed. Thank you, Jesus. I will pray until. Following this story is where he gives the famous teaching about keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It's not been answered yet. I haven't seen that happen yet. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. How many of you are parents? Yeah, about half maybe. Okay, now this won't be revelation, but when people want to be parents, they have to take action. All right, they have to do something about it. If you want to be a mum and a dad, you have to do something. It's very important, it's very, very crucial, and it's good fun. So that's just a bonus. But you have to do something about it. You can't just go around saying, praise God, I'm going to be a dad. Praise God, I'm going to be a dad. Praise God. And then not do anything. So you pray, you thank God... Then you do the practical (laughs) and you will become a parent. So let's assume you do the practical. (laughs) All right? More than once. (laughs) You know, you need a bit of consistency here. All right? Thanking God still for what's going to happen. And the wife gets pregnant. Praise God! But does that baby appear the following day? Because you pray and you do and you pray and you do and you pray and you do and God says, the answer is here. And you think, oh good, should see it by five past. (laughs) But very often answers to prayer are like getting pregnant. You have the answer. It's going to happen. 
But there's this period of growth that's got to take place first. And it will come to a point where whether you like it or not, it's coming. You know, after nine months, the woman can't say, I've changed my mind. (laughs) Thank you, God, for answered prayer. Let it go now. I mean, there are many times in my experience where many women want to have that kind of experience by that point. Or at least it's just kind of a, get this out of me. It can feel like that with prayer sometimes. I just need that answer. I've got the answer. It's weighing me down. It's put all my organs in a funny place. But I want the answer. And there comes the day of birth. And all that inconvenience of pregnancy becomes a mere memory. As you've experienced the new joy of sleepless nights and nappies and crying. Your answer to prayer has arrived. But it wasn't necessarily quite as you expected. Because it's still a baby. And it's going to need care. It's going to need looking after. It's going to need loving. And you're going to bring that child into adulthood. And one day that child... We'll probably meet someone else as an adult and there'll be more children. And the fruitfulness will continue. And so it is with prayer. Sometimes we have to wait. We just keep doing. And then there comes a breakthrough. Yes, we've got that. And you continue in thanksgiving knowing that you are pregnant with the answer. Until there comes a day when the answer arrives screaming and bawling in spiritual delivery room. And then you learn that with that answer, you're going to have to learn to look after it. You're going to have to enable it to grow. You're going to have to see the fullness of it. Because there's so much in the natural that teaches us of the spiritual. There are prayers. Bang, swap, change. Absolutely there are. They're often called extraordinary miracles. So it's good we're going for that. But to get the extraordinary miracles, you've got to practice. If you never pray for them, they'll never happen. It's no good saying, thank you, Jesus, for extraordinary miracles. Thank you, Jesus, for extraordinary... I've got some extraordinary miracles. See, you probably wouldn't do that. (laughs) Shona would. but (laughs) I've seen her. But it would be fruitless, wouldn't it? If you want to see healings, if you want to see finances, if you want to see these things, unless we're praying, asking, seeking, knocking, unless we've got that shameless audacity because we know anyone can come before God, we're not going to be extra specially good that day, just forgiven, then they won't happen. Our church is going to be, as a community, where God is just going to supply resources. There's going to be this given to us. Uh, I, I can see people being employed. I can see us being able to uh, give away loads of money. Oh, this is so cool. But unless you're taking hold of that and praying until, the best you'll have is a wiggly bottom. You have to do something. And it's not about... Shona, she's the prayer director. 
if she prays enough, and, and her husband too, because he's, he's a man of God and he's got that title. I can never quite remember what it is, but I'm sure, I'm sure they gave him one. <laughs> Brian. Associate leader. Associate leaders. Okay, so if these two are praying, it's all going to happen. No, it's not. Because God is speaking to all of us. And it's all of us standing together. Tomorrow, no, no, that doesn't quite work saying it like that. It, we, we were having a bit of a WhatsApp with the senior leaders this morning. It was one of those slightly daft ones. But somehow it ended up in that we would all go and run a marathon. Yeah, right. As somebody said, it might have been you. Take that thought captive. Uh, I said... It's okay. I believe... Yeah, I've got the trainers. Uh, I believe in whole body ministry. So if we gather together just about everybody across all the congregations of kingdom faith, if we all run or stroll or walk about 25 metres at the same time, we'll have done the whole 24 miles. It's not too bad at all, is it? 26. Well, it's two miles short. Okay, we'll have to do 26 metres. But then I thought, but actually, that's a really good example of why God's called the body. Deborah Hick has not got to run 26 miles tomorrow. (laughs) She was thinking of doing it (laughs) before breakfast. But actually, across Kingdom Faith, if we all just walk 26 metres or whatever it was, We'd have walked our 26 miles together. Or even run it. Run 26 metres. But that's why the body's called together. If we leave it to Brian and Shona, it's a marathon. As I said, the only marathon I want to take hold of is now called Snickers. For the oldies, for the oldies. But if we all take hold of it, you suddenly realise, yeah, that's why we can see this release of finance, this release of health, this release of salvations, this release of the promises, and this release of extraordinary miracles. Yes, it is probably beyond you. But together in Christ, all things are possible. And this is a time of all things being possible. Praise God. As always, I've spoken for longer than intended, but I pray that you have received and been blessed. Hallelujah. So let's be shamelessly audacious, shall we? Dare to pray. Dare to take hold of. Because there's a community that needs us to be doing that. It's time for God's kingdom to be established. Your kingdom come in Scarborough, Humminby, Filey, Billingshurst, Bridlington, I meant to say, (laughs) Moulton, York, Whitby, and all the other villages around us, on earth, as it is in heaven. So we need to do something. Let's get on and do it. All right, be blessed. Praise God. Have a great rest of Sunday. 
Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.